bunch of Welcome back my friends to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas and as in every week I have here my two co-hosts Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey guys. Hey Carlos. Hey How are you this week? Awesome week. Getting ready. Almost taken by the storm because we had a huge storm last night. So everything was shaking but we're good to go. Isn't a bright new world down in the U.S.? Isn't there sun shining and birds chirping? Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there have been a there have been a lot of parades. There's been a lot of discussion. It's been it's 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 been um, interesting and different than I expected. Hmm. There's been a lot of barbecue, a lot of beer, and a lot of <laughs> freedom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. So, so are we going to talk freedom? Is that what we're going to talk? Freedom. Well, I think that is a little bit there. So yeah. if you think about it, why are companies really not hiring or retaining the correct people for the role? And I think that it goes connected to what we are seeing this past week. But what do you think about that? Um, I think it comes down to the electoral college being an outdated system that doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> we um, we recommend constitutional monarchies. That's what. Uh... <laughs> um, I, I think that's a great topic, Carlos, um, and, and I think it's an appropriate one, right? As we look around, we see industry after industry suffering layoffs, company after company suffering layoffs. Mm -hmm. um, but the challenge is, it's not like they don't have open roles. It's not like they don't have open positions. Right. But when we look at the process of hiring uh, and recruiting, we see, frankly, it's broken. Um, companies have become enormous and yet never really updated their policies to focus on the things that really should matter. Um, and it's kind of a left hand, right hand kind of situation. Right. So let's say you're going to you, you, you're changing your focus. The market has shifted. Um, and you're going to drop a product and add a product, right? Mm -hmm. Typically what we do is we drop the people associated with the pro first product, then we hire for the second product. Right. Why isn't there a system that effectively backfeeds those two things as joint opportunities, right? And we tell our employees, hey, it's a layoff. Um, do yourself a favor, check our website, see if there's anything else out there. We'll happily, you know, put your name in. You have until X date to find another internal role before you're you're fully separated from the company. Um, shouldn't that process occur the other way around? Like, shouldn't we hand every single employee a packet that says, hey, in addition to the other things you need to know, here's all the roles that your LinkedIn profile says you're likely to be a, somewhat of a fit for. Here's the hiring manager. Do you know any of them? Click this button to apply. Mm -hmm. right? Shouldn't we take the proactive step that connects those two things? And if the answer is yes, then why do we wait for a layoff event to do that thing? Right? Why should we? Shouldn't we also be promoting that sort of thing internally as well and go, hey, um, we've aggregated the LinkedIn profiles of every single employee that works for us that has a LinkedIn profile. Um, we've compared that to every single posting we have. And oh, by the way, you've flagged on your review system that you'd really like to move into leadership. Here are seven leadership roles. 
that fit your profile. Yeah, it's kind of like okay. the flight cancellation process, right? You expect <laughs> to get an email to say, here, here are your alternative flights, you know, pick one, and then you'll get to still fly, you'll still get to get home, right? Uh, and, and I think a lot of this is uh, a miss on the centricity, right? Most of the organization is very client or customer centric and they organize both the org chart and the org model to support that. But one would argue that HR and recruiting a sub part of HR really should be employee centric. And it's not necessarily employee uh, that's currently there, but also prospective employees, right? So how do I, how do I look at the roles available based on keeping an employee? And then how do I look at the roles available that might cross lines of businesses if I'm trying to recruit somebody externally into the organization? Uh, but the org model is by product or by line of business or by geography. Um, and you have many recruiters and many HR reps that are focused on their subset of jobs, their subset of, of line of business and not actually thinking about what happens if somebody really good is now become available and I need to attach them to one or more roles? I also think we tend to get a little too addicted to the right person for the right role when we already have an excellent person. Right. Right. I've advocated, I've advocated on this podcast, right? Every leader should know and have a list of the people that work for them that the company would be worse without. Right. Right. And so at any point, if that list existed in every company you you would then look and go do we have a place okay we don't have the perfect role for this person but we really don't want to lose the person because we'd be worth worse without them do we have a place that's good enough mm -hmm. right and then if we start thinking uh, about to your point centricity um a ceo is not customer centric i at least i hope not like right. they think of the customer but they don't actually focus on retaining the individual customers that's an individual contributor that does that, right? And then, and so then shouldn't the goal really be some continuity of face, some continuity of service, some continuity of connectivity? Um, and that's all built through internal corporate culture, which a CEO really should be concerned with. Mm -hmm. Any executive leader really should be concerned with the, the culture that they're creating in the teams they lead. And part of that has to be retention. Part of that has to be the confidence of bi-directional loyalty mm -hmm. and the systems as we currently have them set don't allow for those things they don't allow for bi-directional loyalty right it's almost like we expect employees to be loyal to us the leaders but we don't really have the ability to truly be loyal to them and i'm not saying we don't want to quite the opposite uh, every leader that i talk to loyalty is very very important to them both directions and they want to be loyal so shouldn't we really push as leaders to, to create systems that allow us to have loyalty as a core metric, have loyalty as a, as a core enablement function of leadership? Yeah, it's very hard to be waterfall-based loyalty, right? Where um, you fit into an org chart and when you, one needs to do reductions, it's sort of flowing down, right? 10% of the top might become 1% in your team and you're one of that 1%, even though that person is actually more valuable comparatively to the other 1% in the other parts of the organization. You wouldn't know that because that's not your consideration. Your consideration as the leader of the 1% is just that 1%. Well then, how does one even look across the organization? How does one become loyal outside of the waterfall? I can't go up the waterfall, right? It's impossible to go up a waterfall. That's, so. 
but we should be able to. Like this isn't an impossible problem to solve. Right. Right. This isn't this isn't um, um, healthcare for everyone in the U.S. This is not an important impossible problem to solve. This is a problem that that seems logical, right? It seems like if I have a list of awesome people and you have a list of awesome people, and there's some delta between that list and everybody that's possibly employed, then I should be able to go, hey, my one percent is not should not leave the organization. Can you do two percent and take my one percent? Like, can we do a little a little uh, uh, you know trading there? to ensure that the organization is as healthy as possible as it exits these reorganizations, rather than just, well, it has to be fair to everybody. When I, in fact, it's never fair to anyone. I, I'm glad you said that because so often um, we forget what the first team principles are, right? Most leaders, unfortunately, consider their first team the team that reports to them. But your actual first team are your peers to which you jointly report into your boss. So that you, most of your conversations, especially with your employees, should be across your peer group so that you can look at a much larger organization and say, well, let's look at um, evaluating our staff across this entire organization. And let's not judge architects against developers, against QA, against uh, infrastructure administrators, because they're not necessarily all equal in terms of how I can retain them and how I can replace them and just individual people holistically. It's the first team principle is ignored in many ways. And people are just worried about their team and therefore it's water falling down directly to the individual contributor, which simply doesn't work in that, in that sense. What would be one of the options? Because you just mentioned two things and Howard also mentioned. So it looked like there is a challenge when you bring people in into an organization and you're looking at them as that they're just yours, that they're your right. kids. And there's also a challenge when people are leaving the organization or that team. Isn't there a huge time that it takes for someone to build trust when they come into an organization? And then when the team loses the trust, probably on the company, when there's a layoff. Yes, especially when the layoff doesn't have a clear strategic connection. Right. Again, a layoff that's associated with um, a change in the market and the market no longer sustaining a particular business unit makes a whole lot of sense and is easy to communicate. Mm -hmm. Right. Personally, I don't think a layoff should ever occur. That's not clearly communicated the why, the what, and the the future. Right. Because you still have people that are left in the organization afterwards. And what tends to be the problem with a layoff is. Um, did we retain people who wish to be retained? That should be the question number one. Why retain people who don't want to be retained, right? And did we do everything to ensure that morale throughout this process is as good as we can make it? Sometimes there's nothing you can do to improve morale. Sometimes layoffs are a blessing in disguise, right? And allow you to, to, to trim some of the fat that, that other employees see as needing to be trimmed. Um, sometimes it's you know neither of those things but if the focus isn't how do i ensure morale is the best afterwards what you're going to do is you're going to cut off your arm and then your other arm is going to look for another body to be its host right and and so i think that you know i think that's a really important function right when we look at some of these companies um you not only see the people that are laid off open to work and and posting that they're looking for work and applying for jobs but you also see a marked increase in retained employees doing all of those things. Mm -hmm. 
right? And and I'm sure somewhere there's a there's a, a statistic table, there's an actuarial table that says, hey, we're going to do 4,000 layoffs, but we're also going to catch another 250 uh, jobs within the next six months that are going to be voluntary departures, and like we planned for that. But I think the reality is more like we've, we've really picked the ideal number for us. We really don't want to decrease below this ideal number. And now we're going to be in a situation where, oh, look, we have another 100 job openings that we now have to fill. And the optics on that are both bad. Plus, maybe there was 100 people in the layoff that we would have liked to have retained and simply couldn't be for financial reasons. And now we've lost that opportunity. Right. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you want to identify your top performers, the people that truly are the best and do everything you can to retain them, even if it means moving them around a bit, because they're also the most desirable on an open job market. And putting yourself in a position where you're forced to replace those people and have no ability to retain them, probably not the wisest thing to do for corporate longevity, corporate health. But the same problem occurs in, in the best case scenario, right? The best case scenario is that there is no reductions. It is in fact, just growth. You have to hire several dozen, if not thousands of people. Um, and you're simply not um, either attracting or retaining the individual person across a bunch of possible roles. So I'll give you, I'll give you a, a walk through a sort of day in the life here. Let's say you're a smaller ish organization and you have a dozen open roles. Any one individual person looking, going to your site, going to your career site, will only see a dozen roles, and it's not likely that more than one of them is attractive to that particular candidate, only because it's a small organization. So you're going to apply for the one you want, and you're going to go through the HR recruiting process. Great. But if you're a large organization, let's say you have a thousand open roles, um, it's quite possible that dozens are actually attractive to interesting candidates. However, your process is, even within the website itself, pick geography, pick department, pick individual manager, like pick, 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 sub-select so much that there's only one or two available to which you then apply for. Then I've got to go through the process again, pick another geography or another department. And the problem is it doesn't necessarily allow you to pick another role or the recruiter now has attached your name to the original role and the second recruiter within the same organization, in fact, can't deal with you until that original job is done. So now the potential issue is that the second role is more interesting, but you've already applied for the first role and therefore you're locked out of the second or third or fourth or fifth role. It's not employee centric, it's waterfall down, even in the best case scenario. I think we think about it wrong from the get-go. Yeah. Right. Kind of to your point and everything else that we've said, we think about job and person as the same thing. Mm -hmm. When in fact, we should think about them exceptionally different. Right. I have people that work for me. Mm, maybe we change that. Maybe we stop thinking about it that way. Maybe it's I have positions that report to me. Right. Right. But the organization has the people. Right. right. So it doesn't matter if, if I have a thousand positions that are open or wide. Um, then really all I need to do is identify the person using a recruiter and then apply that person to all the things. Like if, if the recruiter had a checklist of these are our corporate values, does the person comply to these corporate values? These are our corporate job skills. Which of the, which of the skills does the person seem to have and any validation associated with it? And then click apply. You could apply that to every single job and come back and go, okay, hey, so 
I'm, I'm your recruiter, which is really what it's supposed to be, not I recruit for this job, but rather I'm your advocate inside the organization. Um, these are the 12 jobs I've found for you. Do these locations sound appealing? Do these job descriptions sound appealing? Let me get your information over to the leader and see, do they wish to interview you and start making that connection? And instead, it's an almost always outbound role. I'm recruiting for one job. I have a list of people. I take that list of people and I turn that over to the hiring manager to make a decision based on very little information versus if it was actually a recruiter role like, like it claims to be, then the focus should be on the person and connecting the person with the best role in the organization. Right. Yeah, 100%. It would allow you to retain better people. It would give them the flexibility and, and awareness of what's going on inside the organization from the get-go and, and maybe allow them to be placed in the right spot in the organization at the time. And it would also mean if, if the recruiter's job really is the person, not the role, then it also means, I'm sorry, you're not right for that role. But three month, three weeks, two weeks, a month, two months later, they might go, hey, um, I, I hate to bother you, but uh, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about you and we just opened up a role that's perfect for you. Are you still in the market? Are you still interested? Yeah. Right, because the role of the recruiter, even internal to a company is the person, not the job. Uh, and I agree that there should be a much bigger stick for, for recruiting externally. Like you have to really have exhausted the internal potential candidates before you go externally. Like it can't just be this anomalous cultural thing you do. Yes, I will choose as an individual leader to, to look internally first, but I think it needs to be far more of a stick, right? To say, no, though, you, you have to prove to me that there are in fact no, you know, B to A or B level internal staff that actually take this role before in fact, you can look external to support that. So, so let, yeah. me, let me bring this in a different con. So you just mentioned something how do you as a leader feel when you see that there's a role that you probably want and they bring someone from the outside? Because there they may be different ways of looking at it when it is at different levels in the organization. If you have an individual, an individual contributor and you're bringing someone from the outside, they may think, well, I'm bringing new tech skills or new skills that they have. But when it's a leader, what, what does that mean? What does a company telling you when they're not thinking that you can do that? So promoting if, if they're not promoting within versus always br constantly bringing external leadership. talent. Yeah. 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 They're saying they don't have respect for the existing leadership or they don't understand the existing leadership or they haven't made a connection with the existing leadership. Right. Um, the, the reality is to, to Paul's point, you should spend 80% of your time trying to recruit internally. You should start trying to recruit internally. You should make it as easy as possible to recruit internally. You should build processes that promote from within at every single opportunity. You've already invested in these people. Why would you not do that? Right. right. And it may require assessing skill sets that aren't readily available. In other words, let's say there are a bunch of people in your organization that have had vastly broad experiences and backgrounds, but their current job doesn't actually showcase that. Their current job is a mid-manager individual contributor. However, for the last 25 years, they've led re relatively large uh, IT technology teams. Well, one has to do research for that, right? One should have that information readily available to you to make those kind of decisions going forward. 
you can't just assume that the person in front of you is in fact the only capability and experience that they have because you've known them for two months. It makes very little sense. It, it should also be a corporate policy that every internal candidate gets a response. Right. And that every qualified, even semi-qualified internal candidate gets one interview. Right. Period. Right. It's, it's insulting for an internal candidate to apply for a role and get nothing as the response, to get crickets as the response. It's insulting. Right. And, and it's demoralizing. And when you apply for something that you that you do strongly feel you're qualified for, you check the boxes as listed. To get no response is insulting. To get no interview is insulting, mm -hmm. right? Um, and again, uh, if I've made an investment in the people, then shouldn't my motivation be to continue that investment to really get the best value out of that investment? And even if I, I've got twelve people that want the role, seeing one of their own promoted, right? Seeing a fellow employee promoted is always a morale win, always. You always can look at that and say, the company's doing right by us, there is a future, there is a, you know, we can promote internally, we can excel internally, we can grow internally. Otherwise, the message you give is, the only thing you can do to grow is to grow externally. You must leave the organization in order to achieve the growth you wish to see. Right, is that the message you really wanna portray? Right. <laughs> exactly. Another interesting take on this is uh, a misapplication or zero application at all of what's happening in COVID or the pandemic, right? The concept of a city-based or geography-based selection within um, a role should not be a criteria anymore. You shouldn't have to pick the city that's nearest you or within 50 kilometers of, of where you want to work to determine whether this job is applicable to you. Right? It shouldn't be a San Francisco-based type of role. That role, or most roles, should be available anywhere you know, within what makes legal sense. Right? It might be a legal justification for a particular country, let's say, but it, shouldn't be, it should be anywhere within that country. Yet, all recruiting sites, all job profiles, all job descriptions, all managers have narrowed it down to a specific geography, if not a specific city, even LinkedIn. Right? When you're doing a LinkedIn search, it's within a radius of a specific city. Again, like none of that is real anymore. At least it shouldn't be. And, and the reality is, if I don't have to provide an office for you, if I don't have to provide a cubicle for you, you know what I can do? I could probably fly you in for one day a month. <laughs> right. right. I could probably fly you in one day a week, actually. Right. Same day, turn around, you fly in, you do a team meeting, you fly home, same day. Right. In which case, um, I now have the availability of the entire, in the entire world. I have the availability of, a, of anything within a three hour plane flight at bare minimum and probably actually a six hour. Right. And let the employee make the decision, right? Let the candidate make the decision and, and agree to do that. Is it gonna be exhausting? One day, one day a week, it might be, right? But the fact is, if I can get an employee that's 10% better, it pays for itself in space. Mm -hmm. right? And the reality is, how often do I need somebody physically in the office? I don't need them that often physically in the office. And I don't care which side of the equation, individual contributor, contributor or leadership. I don't actually need them physically present. Right. COVID has shown that this works. And so shouldn't my focus then be, let's get the most qualified person for the specific slot. That means the best culture fit, the best skill set match, 
right? The best attitude, exactly what I'm looking for. And if I restrict myself to a highly competitive area like San Francisco, the chances are I'm fighting for the B team because the A team is currently employed or I'm fighting, you know, I may be fighting for the C team. If I'm in an area like Kansas city where the A team doesn't even live, I'm, I, you know, it's just as rough. It's just as difficult. And all that you're doing really is removing potential rather than adding potential. Our goal should be let's add as much potential as possible. And that doesn't mean we don't hire you know, it doesn't mean we don't we don't use some sort of, of of weighted methodology when picking, right? But why start by removing opportunity? Start by enabling all the opportunity in the world, and then going, hey, you know, we're in Kansas City, and we found a person that's that's a, that's frankly in the 85th percentile. Right. We also found someone in the 95th percentile in New York or North Carolina. We'll do North Carolina because it's not you know so so ridiculously expensive. Um, sure, we could get some more from North Carolina, but we've decided. Kansas City is the way to go. At least you have the ability to compare the two, to do a compare and contrast and do, you know, a, a return on investment, do, do a cost benefit analysis to come to a decision. If you start with restriction, all you're really doing is saying, I want to, I want to remove as much opportunity as possible and, and just settle for what I have available. And, and that really, it's kind of backwards. Yeah. T- time, time needs to not be a restriction too, right? Like it can't be, uh, you have, an open role of thousands. You have a dozen people apply for this. Let's say half of them are perfect alignment to the role. There's, there's one you're going to pick and you'll ultimately pick this person. But the other five absolutely could do great things within your organization, but you've now rejected them. You've now declined the role. And not only are they not likely to apply for another role in your organization, you're not going to actually see them as actually a reasonable candidate for any new roles coming up. You're now relying on effectively an old leader who has a longer memory to say that person I talked to before actually could do this new role that's coming up in the next three weeks. And Howard, I think you're the perfect example because it's exactly what happened. With <laughs> that <Right>? is true. <laughs> like you applied for a specific role, a great candidate, one of many for that role. You didn't get that, but you know the leader had a memory, and when a new role came up, there wasn't even a there wasn't even a search. It was already predetermined. Howard makes sense in this role. I've already talked to Howard. I already like Howard. He already has the skill set. I'm just going to call Howard. Yeah. And I've done the exact same thing. I think every leader has, right? But the fact is that's the wrong end of the chain because we talk to so few. So, right. so you rely on me going, okay, so that role is open. I talked to somebody that fits that role. What was their name? Where is their resume? <laughs> exactly. What was that in guy? fact, if the recruiting system was better, it'd be the opposite. It'd be a recruiter going, sweet, you open that role. I have seven people that I've talked to for all the roles that I've talked to that would fit right. that. And hey, we have 450 in our database. Is there anything specific that I can use to really help narrow it down? I'll give you three resumes today. Right. Like any or any large organization that's been doing this for six months really should never have to do a job posting day one. Right. Day one, they should be able to always reply with 10 resumes to people that fit and go, these 10 candidates we have in our database. Do you know how many times I've received that? It's zero. <laughs> exactly. So it's I got always, a- we have to do a new posting and we'll see what comes in. And then you're two weeks going, I know we've talked to people. Right. right? We don't <laughs> exist in a vacuum. I know I'm, I'm not the only person to have this kind of role open globally. Come on, help me out here. 
So why doesn't it? What's what's the limiting factor here? There's org charter and org model, but is there some other limiting factor that's making this not possible? I don't think we encourage that type of, act, of activity. Mm. Right? I don't think we, like we're system-based. Human beings are incredibly, incredibly pattern driven. Mm -hmm. And when we're given a list of instructions and told to repeat that a thousand times, we just continue to repeat those list of instructions a thousand times, we never veer. Right? It becomes the more we repeat those instructions, the less easy it is for us to change step two to something else. Right. And if the organization continues to look at it the same way and say, well, this is good enough, I don't actually care about the best person for the role. I just care about a person for the role, right? Then we've actually kind of failed at our job and, mm -hmm. and we'll just continue to support doing the same thing the same way as we did yesterday. Uh, the weird part is, is anybody you talk to in the chain agrees with everything we've said. Even the recruiters will agree with everything we've said. Right. And wow. yet the percentage of change will be effectively zero. Yeah. Why don't we change? What is holding us back? So what, what I think where it needs to start is it needs to start to start at the C-level, right? If the CHRO, the CFO, the CEO, the COO, the CIO, all the Cs, um, hear this message and they sit in the room and they all agree this is the way we want to go forward, then you start to gain, you know, what, what in another conversation would be called bipartisan support, <laughs> right? Because what I really need is I need, like, I need each of those leaders to tell their people, this is what we're doing going forward. Our policy is for the first 10 days of a posting, we're only looking internally. In order for us to do that, I need you all to enable yourselves in this system. I need you all to make sure that your LinkedIn profile or whatever you want to use is updated. And the reality is make sure it's your LinkedIn profile. Like don't force your employees to fill out all the information again. Nobody likes making a resume. And you know who likes making a resume the least? People who are comfortable in their current position. <laughs> right. Right. So just say, hey, look, can you update your LinkedIn profile? fill out a little short questionnaire that has a, a list of like job functions and skills and then click submit. Every six months as part of your review process, we're gonna ask you just to go in and update that as part of the review process. Right. That's really just so we can ensure that if a position opens, we have the ability to offer it to you internally. And then the recruiting actually is opposite. Every month you can get an email that says, hey, these are all the positions that are open within the company that your profile says you'd be a match for. Would you like to apply for any of them? Yeah, that'd be amazing. And the fact is, it's infinitely easier to place a job the further down the org chart you go, not the further up the org chart you go. <laughs> right. and so while it does sound complicated, and while it does sound like there is a disadvantage to start to promoting from within because you leave spaces open, the fact is, the further down the chain you get, when all those dominoes have fallen, the easier it is to place the position. Mm -hmm. right? It almost, as you go up the org chart, it almost doubles or triples in time the further up you go. And right. so rather than take a year to find an executive, a VP, why don't I take a month and hire internally a director? Right. And then instead of six months to do the director, I'll hire a manager internally in a month, right? right. And then, you know what I mean? It just daisy chains down from there until when it's all said and done, I'm hiring an intern. I can do that in an hour and 15 minutes. Right.
or you could have relationships with academia, or you could build an external pipeline of potential individual contributors. Right. I could very easily turn to a recruiter, an external recruiter, and go, hey, in all of the resumes that you have, this is what I'm looking for. It's a simple individual contributor. I need you know, a system administrator. Not that system administrators are easy to find, very good ones, but they're infinitely easier than a vice president of operations. Right. I, I think one of the fundamental problems, Carlos, is, um, is there's an old school leadership philosophy of requiring a bell curve in your team, right? You've got very few A's, a few more B's, a decent amount of C's, and a couple D's, so that uh, you're balancing out both cost within your team um, and that you have an ability to remove or replace people at any one period of time because you have you know, lower scale parts of your organization. That is not your best bet for success. I would rather have as a leader 30 A's than a hundred bell curve. And even if those 30 A's are more expensive than the hundred bell curve, I'm still delivering more and creating more loyalty and creating longevity that those hundred will ever give me even on average. Yeah, because the, the problem with the bell curve is that then you're not going to have people, like you said, delivering. You're not going to have people that are bringing their A game because they know that you some way, somehow, you're not expecting that A game from them. Right. So they deliver that. <laughs> but it's, the, it's also the false dichotomy, right? It's um, what I, I figured it out when I worked at Verizon because Verizon had 240,000 employees worldwide. <laughs> Um, everybody gets two weeks vacation, right? So at any given point, uh, it's, I, I forget what it was. It was uh, 4% of the workforce is missing at any given point. Right. So I have to backfill 4% of the workforce. I can't backfill 4% of the workforce with a lot of A's and a lot of D's. Right. I, I can't do it because how many A's does it take to backfill a D? Less than one. How many right. D's does it take to backfill an A? Three. Right. I don't have three I can backfill the A with, right? And so instead what I do is I aim for as close and as tight to the 50th percentile as I can get. Hmm. The problem is it doesn't actually work that way in reality. In reality, you don't have 240,000 people backfilling 240,000 people. Right. You have a member of a team backfilling a member of a team. And therefore, what we really need to focus on is how do I ensure that the team dynamics are built in such a way that I consider both ends of the equation, that I consider how do I retain and acquire the absolute best people? And then, you know what? Backfilling them, they're back. If I do that, then they're backfilled by the best people. And I never have to do an A, B, C, or D, D equation at all. Right. Right. All I have to do is go, I have very, very good people. Backfilling very, very good people actually isn't that hard if the next person is close to that excellent person. Right. I'm still not going to be able to backfill an A with a D. It's still not going to happen. But I can always backfill an A with a B because one of the things that makes an A, a an A is their handoff when needing to be backfilled. Right. A's tend not to just go, see ya, I'm out. Uh, where are you going? I got two weeks of vacation. What are you all doing? <laughs> you, you, you didn't tell anybody on your team? No, A's tend to communicate. Hey, I'm going on vacation in two weeks. This is what I have in works, right? They tend to finish much of their work. And for good, better, and different, A's also tend to answer emails from their team. Right. So even when something crops up that they weren't expecting, 
they also tend to be available knowing who's backfilling them. Right. All true. And so I think it's a false, like, I think it's a, a reality. I think it's really the thought process, but I think it's also a false dichotomy in that that reality doesn't, you know, that thought process doesn't really reflect reality and is, and is definitely outmoded and outdated and very, very, very easy to compensate for. Otherwise, let's be honest, companies like Amazon couldn't exist with 1.8 million employees. <laughs> well, then the reality- Actually, I think they're one, I think they're 1.25 and growing to 1.8. Mm -hmm. So that gives us an idea that to really be able to enjoy some barbecue beer, freedom, we need to have the proper structure in place to be able to enjoy it. Don't you agree? Well, we have to now. I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. I'm not sure that's the way I would have phrased it, but I, I understand. If you want to enjoy your barbecue and you want to enjoy your beer, you need to be free to know that the loyalty that you have is, is bi-directional. Right. Employee centricity in HR and recruiting, that is a fundamental change that needs to be taking place, not unlike customer centricity in the rest of the organization. Well, my friends, there you have it. It's key to be able to have the proper people in the proper spot, but it's more important that when you have a spot available, like we have discussed, that you look at the people that you already have. They know your culture, they understand what you're doing, and they will help you accomplish more from where you are. My friends, make sure that you subscribe, you share this with others, and we'll see you on our next episode.